The title of the message today is God is Closer Than You Think. <clears throat> you know, we have been created in God's image, the Bible tells us. And I think that there are several, several different ways of looking at that. One of the ways is that God has created us to be relational beings. We can't live alone. Uh, no man is an island, the saying goes. No woman is an island. We have been created to be in relationship with other people. So God has blessed us with many relationships. We have our family, a mate perhaps, uh, friends, fellow church members, co-workers, whatever the case may be. <clears throat> the reason that God has created us to be that way is because he is that way. God is a relational being. And he has revealed himself to us as one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So his existence for all eternity, because he never had a beginning, he's always lived this way, to live in relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, he reveals to us that we are not only in relationship with each other on this planet, but we are in relationship with him as well. And in John chapter 17, the Gospel of John, when we studied it a few weeks ago, we found out that this gospel is in so many ways different from the other three synoptic gospels. There are long drawn out prayers of Jesus in this gospel, and we're gonna look at one of them right now. Jesus praying to his father, and we get to hear his intimate thoughts and intimate words, and notice what he says, John 17 and verse 20. As praying to the Father, he says, My prayer is not for them alone, for his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. You know, the gospel message has come through the apostles and down through the disciples and down through Christians through the ages and down to the year 2021, and here we are. So Jesus is praying for us as well. He says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. That's interesting. The relationship between Jesus Christ and his Father, he describes it as being in the Father, and the Father is in Jesus. They're not just next door to each other or standing side by side. There is a, a dwelling in each of them. The Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the Father. He says, may they, that's us, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them, the disciples, the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me, again, the believers, that's us, to be with me where I am and to see my glory and the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they, believers, know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. God is a lot closer than you think. <laughs> the relationship 
that God has with us, Jesus Christ in this case, but really the Father and the Holy Spirit as well, can be defined as dwelling in us. Now, we know God is spirit. He's not a physical entity that, that we can see or touch. Jesus Christ, of course, had two natures. He was fully God and fully man. But he now dwells in us, spiritually speaking. Uh, how can that be? How do, how do you explain that, Pastor John? There's a Greek word that is used often to describe this mutual indwelling. And it's the Greek word perichoresis. And it means a mutual indwelling. And it implies that even though Jesus dwells in us, he is still Jesus and we are still, are still ourselves. So there's no blending of identity or who we are and who Jesus is. So the Father dwells in the Son and the Son dwells in the Father. But the Father is still the Father and the Son is still the Son. And the same mutual indwelling pertains to the Father and Son's relationship to the Holy Spirit. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit mutually indwell each other. That's what the scripture tells us. That's the nature of God. And it's not like anything that we've ever experienced in this physical world, in our physical humanity. You know, I'm in relationship with my wife, but she's not in me and I'm not in her. We are side by side, but you know what? The marriage relationship, I think, teaches us lessons about our relationship with God and how close it can be and how close it should be. That's why back in the book of Genesis, it says when two people married, the two become one flesh. You're that close together. You start thinking alike. You start acting alike and so on. Ask my wife, she'll tell you some stories. <laughs> We both head into a room doing the, uh, about to do the same thing, and we haven't talked about it, but our minds have become so tied together over the years, we become one in that sense. Well, it's the same thing with our relationship with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Jesus Christ dwells in us, and we kind of absorb stuff from him. And again, I can't explain it in great detail because I don't know if we're capable of understanding it that uh, deeply. But when Jesus dwells in us, we take on his characteristics. We begin to take on his personality. We take on his traits. He becomes a part of us. He's changing us from the inside out by dwelling in us. Now, I don't know about you, but you know, I don't wake up every morning just feeling Jesus inside of me. I know that it's scriptural. I have faith that it's a reality. But it is a slow process where Jesus is working on us from the inside out and he is changing us. <clears throat> so this passage shows us that when we become believers, when we become disciples of Jesus, the same relationship that Jesus has with the Father is now extended to us, this mutual indwelling. Jesus dwells in us as believers, yet Jesus is still Jesus and we are still ourselves. And because of the Trinitarian relationship that already exists between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three actually dwell in us because you can't separate that relationship that they have. Now in Old Testament times, God assured the Israelites that he would dwell among them 
at the location of the tabernacle and later at the temple in Jerusalem, most precisely in the Holy of Holies. Remember in the temple, there was a, a big room where the priests went in and out and did their daily duties, but there was a special room in the back covered by a curtain that nobody was allowed to go in there. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was, the mercy seat of God. And that was God's very dwelling place. But you know, when the New Testament came about, things changed. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 48, Acts 7, verse 48, it says this, however, the Most High does not live in houses made by men. So something happened. We know that the temple was ultimately destroyed by the Roman armies when they invaded. So God was no longer dwelling there. He was dwelling someplace else. He no longer dwells in houses, temples, church buildings made by men. He now dwells someplace else, and we're told about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. God's dwelling place has changed. It says here in 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? So no longer does God dwell in buildings that people have to come to to worship him. Now God dwells in believers. He says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for, for God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. So God dwells in us. And we are considered a sacred dwelling place of God. We are the temple of God. So that's how things change from Old Testament times to New Testament times. God, does, doesn't, God doesn't dwell in buildings anymore, physical buildings. He dwells in individuals. Okay, back here to John 14 now. Continue with uh, Jesus' prayer here. John 14 and verse 23. Talking about this relationship he now has with us because we're believers, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, so if you recognize Jesus as your savior, if you come to the point in your life where you realize you need a savior, you're a, a sinner, uh, you know, if nothing else happens to rescue you, you'll be doomed. So if you come to that point and you, you begin to love Jesus, and accept him as savior, it says, he will obey my teaching, my father will love him, and we, Jesus says, referring to himself and the father, we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own, they belong to the father who sent me. So several times in scripture, Jesus explains this relationship that we have with him and the Father as believers. That they come and make their dwelling place in us. Now, I remember when I was baptized. You know, I was baptized as an infant in the Catholic Church, which I'm very thankful for and appreciative of that my parents did that for me. But there came a time in my life when I was in my 20s. 
I started to read the scripture, started to understand about baptism by immersion and, and those sorts of things. And I came to the point where I said, you know what? I know I was baptized as an infant, but I want to be baptized again by my choice. I want to show God that it's, it's my choice to be baptized, not just something my parents did for me. I want to take ownership of this relationship with God. So I asked the minister at that time if it was okay if I could be baptized again, this time by immersion. And as you know, as they do here, this big box over here is actually a baptismal and it's filled with water. So when they baptize somebody, the person gets into the tub, they kind of put them back, pack words underwater and bring them back up again because it signifies death. Not only your death, but Jesus' death for you, what he, what he did for you. But now you're being baptized you have come to the point that you've accepted Jesus as your Savior and, and want to go through what he told us to go through, to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when I came up out of the water, the minister prayed for me and laid hands on me. And, you know, when that happened, I didn't feel anything happening. I didn't feel somehow that Jesus entered into me. I didn't get knocked over or, you know, anything like that. There wasn't any physical experience but I had faith that as Jesus promised in the scripture that he would come and dwell with me and I guess the evidence that I really did see as time went by as to how I began to change I think that's how you truly experience Jesus dwelling in you you begin to see what he's doing you begin to change as a person you're not the old wretched scoundrel that you used to be, you know, sinning as a way of life, you, you start to come out of those things. You start to change. It's, it's gradual. And, and you know what? I think that God works with each of us maybe slightly differently based on our personality, based on some of our life experiences. And God's very patient. And thanks be to God for that. I don't think he works with each of us in the exact same way. Maybe he takes more time with some of us. Maybe he's more upfront with some of us. He gives us what we need. He knows us intimately, and his goal is to change us. We're being changed into the very likeness of Jesus Christ. So we're all going to have different experiences. We've all had different types of friends that we hung around with, different you know, sins that we've committed, and that sort of thing. But as Jesus comes to dwell in us, he is very patient, he's gentle. Maybe with some of us, we need the approach of the two by four across the forehead because we're hard-headed and stubborn. So he works with each of us, maybe in a slightly different way, with the same goal to begin to change us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So the relationship begins when we express our love to Jesus through repentance and belief. And it's a very certain thing. We shouldn't ever doubt it. It's guaranteed in God's word. Now, sometimes people say to me, well, Pastor John, doesn't it say in the Bible that God cannot come in the presence of sin? He can't be around sinners. So how could he be in us if we still sin occasionally? I'm going to turn to Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> you know, my answer to that question would be that, well, first of all, Jesus, when he was on earth, he hung out with sinners. 
He talked to prostitutes. He talked to tax collectors. He knew people were, were, were still sinners, and he hung out with them, and he was okay. He didn't have a problem with that. But I want you to consider this in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. The thought of Jesus dwelling in you while you still occasionally stumble and, and sin. Remember this verse here. Paul says, therefore, Romans 5 verse 1, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So yeah, we still occasionally slip up and do this or that, and that can be considered sin, and it is sin. But we are in a state of being justified by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. When we accepted him as our savior, we have been labeled not guilty by the blood of Jesus Christ. So in a sense, Jesus is dwelling in us, but our sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, and they are no longer counted against us. I wanna read that again. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So sometimes, you know, we have a little conflict in our mind. We may have said something or, or done something that we realize, yep, well, I, I messed up again. I know that was a sin and I'm sorry for it. And sometimes we fear, well, is Jesus going to depart? <laughs> he can't hang around sinners. No, don't forget, you have been declared justified. The righteousness of Jesus Christ has been credited to you. Now, that doesn't mean we can go out and sin at will. No, but when we do, we can rest assured that Jesus is not going to depart. Remember, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Notice also in Romans chapter 8, another very encouraging word here from the Apostle Paul. Romans 8 verse 1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Does that mean we're never going to slip up and sin? No, we will slip up and sin occasionally. But in spite of that, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. So what an encouraging scripture to read. And again, that doesn't mean we go out and sin at will. No, because Jesus is changing us. He is doing his work in us from the inside out. See, the Old Testament Israelites only had the law to look at on tables of stone. But God is at work inside of us. He's working from the inside out in a miraculous way. The Apostle Paul here in Romans 7, verse 14, he shared with us his personal struggle with sin. Here he was an apostle, a leader of the church and so many congregations. And he took the time, and this is, this is very encouraging for us to read, that he struggled with sin. And he said in Romans 7, verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, 
sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not uh, do. But what I hate to do, sinning, that's what he ends up doing. Verse 16, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer myself, uh, I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find the law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in my members, in my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Well, he answers, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So even though we still struggle with sin, you know, we have two natures inside of us. We have God's nature, and we still have that human nature that we're battling against. And even when we mess up and stumble in sin, we can be encouraged to know that we have been rescued by Jesus Christ. As he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we struggle to follow the lead of Jesus, the lead of the Holy Spirit. They dwell in us. They're trying to move us in the right direction. But there's that little struggle inside of us from time to time that uh, we fall prey to the carnal nature in us. Paul admitted that he often failed in his desire to obey and felt the frustrations that went along with it. But nevertheless, his faith led him to see that salvation was his because of our victory in Jesus. And we're to have the same faith and confidence and belief. You know, Jesus said at one point, I don't know if you remember the scripture, he said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? Faith. That would have been the perfect time for Jesus to say, when the Son of Man returns, will he find obedience on earth? No, he said, will he find faith on earth? Because we're never going to become perfect in obedience. And that's where faith comes in. We have our faith in Jesus. He is our Savior. It is by his blood that we're saved, not by our own efforts. Yeah, we should have our own efforts, but we're going to struggle and we're going to fail from time to time. And when that happens, we remember our faith. We remember our trust. And who made it possible for us to be sons of God? It's Jesus Christ. Who made it possible for us to have salvation? It's Jesus Christ, through his blood and, and the grace of God. You know, Jesus dwelling in us is actually a fulfillment of prophecy. I want to look back just briefly at Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah predicted this day that we live in. You know, he was enmeshed right in the middle of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the covenant of law, the covenant of the tablets of stone that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai with God's law on it. A very difficult time for the Israelites. But in the midst of that, Jeremiah prophesied this. Jeremiah 31:31. 31, 31, the time is coming, declares the Lord, 
when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. So Jeremiah prophesied about our day. Under the terms of the new covenant, God's law would no longer be written on tables of stone, but would be written on our hearts and minds. And this is what happens when God dwells in us and motivates us from within. It's based on grace and forgiveness. That's what he said in verse 34. He said, I'll forgive their wickedness, and that's what has happened through the blood of Jesus Christ, and I'll remember their sins no more. So all of the good things that we, are, uh, that we accomplish, we accomplish by God's dwelling in us. It's not our own goodness or our own ability. It's the fact that God dwells in us. So remember that next time you do a good work for somebody. Before you, you pat yourself on the back and say what a good guy I am or what a good gal I am, remember it's only because Jesus is dwelling in you. He is acting through you. So the glory goes to him. All glory goes to him. So we actually share in the life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, they've been doing this for all eternity. One God in three persons. Living together in relationship, living in joy, unity, singleness of purpose, singleness of mind, encouraging one another, praising one another. And the time came when God created this universe and created this earth that he wanted to extend that relationship that they have enjoyed for all time to us. They want to include us in that relationship that they have. Now, we're never going to become God, but God is going to dwell in us. And thereby, we're sharing in that same relationship that they have. And we see evidence of that in the church. You know... We love one another as a church family, don't we? That's the love of God that he is demonstrating by dwelling in each of us. We want to be generous toward one another. The reason we're like that is because Jesus Christ is dwelling in us and he is a, a generous God. And we're seeing a demonstration. We're seeing evidence of his dwelling in us by the way we now act by the way we talk to one another, by the way we're unified as a church, by the way we're compassionate toward one another, by the way we rejoice when good things happen. And thanks, Matthew, for sharing that story with us. We rejoice with you. We're, we're happy with you. We're, we're awed by God and how he works things out behind the scenes for our benefit because he loves us and we love him. So remember this from the sermon message today. God is never far away. Sometimes we get depressed or we get discouraged and we start thinking, well, does God really care about me? 
Is God really going to forgive me again for, for messing up? God is never far away. He says that he will never leave us or forsake us. So much so that he has taken up his dwelling place in us. And it's a dwelling place that we can't maybe physically sense. We see evidence of it. And that evidence involves change for the better. It's always for the better. It involves blessings that come our way. And furthermore, we are declared righteous in Jesus Christ. I mean, he has such confidence in us and such faith in us that he has taken a permanent residence in us and he will never leave. He will dwell in us for all eternity. And someday we're going to see him face to face. If you want to say physically, we're going to be able to touch him and hug him and, and do whatever we want. But in the meantime, we have faith, confidence, and trust in the fact that he has promised to remain closer than we would ever consider by dwelling in us. And he brings along with him the Father and the Holy Spirit as well. All praise be to this Savior of ours. What a wonderful Savior he is. Our, our friend, our God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, what a special relationship we have with you. It goes deeper in many respects than any physical relationship we can have with other people, although we so appreciate our physical relationships, all of our friends, our family, our mate, whatever the case may be. But Father, help us to grow to understand and appreciate even more the relationship we have with you. And we know that all relationships require attention. We just can't take for granted that you're dwelling in us. We need to be in contact with you. We need to study your word. We need to, to pray to you on a regular basis. We know you're always there to hear us. And help us to listen for your answers, too, when they come. So, Father, what a wonderful God you are. You're not a God who's far away, off in some distant location. You're right here with us. And we thank you for that. And we appreciate that. And we look forward to sharing eternity with you. And we know you have promised us that through Jesus Christ. So, Father, all praise, honor, and glory goes to you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.